Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of Promenade's very own Middle East Mondays coming at you on Thursday, July 22nd. I'm your special guest host, Vince Cohen. I usually host the Sports Report on Sundays, and I'm filling in for my older sister, Megan, today in the Middle East Report. We'll start you off with some pandemic updates from around the Middle East, and unfortunately, there is a lot of news and not all of it is good. On Monday, between 60 and 92 people died and many were injured after a fire broke out in the COVID ward in the Iraqi hospital in Nasiriya. The fire was likely caused by an oxygen tank explosion. The manager of the hospital as well as the health and civil defense managers in Nasiriya have been suspended, with the manager of the hospital even arrested. The reason for 60 to 92 being the number is because there actually has been some controversy over the total number. Originally, Iraqi authorities gave the press a 92 as the original death toll. However, a health ministry Spox told a state-run outlet 72 people died and 20 were burnt so badly they could not be identified. The Spox resigned later that day, however, and the health ministry later corrected the death toll down to 60 on Thursday. Iraq has been the subject of multiple fires in COVID-stricken hospitals, including one that killed 82 in Baghdad in late April. On Monday, Israel became the first country to offer a COVID-19 booster shot en masse. Russia is also offering a booster, but only in their capital city of Moscow. Their health ministry recommended receiving the booster eight weeks after the second shot and no less than four weeks after that. Currently, certain hospitals are calling in the immunocompromised to receive the booster, although the general population is not being asked to get it yet. This news comes only days before Israel logged over 1,000 virus cases in 24 hours for the first time in months due to the Delta variant. On Friday, RM Bennett publicly acknowledged that the Pfizer vaccine is weaker than medical professionals thought against the variant. The health ministry is now asking parliament to approve heightened restrictions once again, including that only vaccinated or recovered people are allowed to take part in indoor events with over 100 people and will have to wear masks unless eating and dining. Iranians desperate for a good COVID shot have begun attempting to get the jab in neighboring Armenia instead, which has AstraZeneca as well as Chinese and Russian vaccines, although Iran had the highest number of COVID cases in the Middle East they are one of the slowest in terms of vaccine rollout, as only about 2% of the population has been immunized. If you want to hear about Armenia's response, check out next Wednesday's Europe briefing. And last but not least, some good news, finally, as the UAE found that the medicine Sotrovimab prevents worsening of symptoms amongst high-risk patients. In a two-week test in Abu Dhabi, the patients given Sotrovimab were reported to have a 100% death prevention rate, 99% prevention of admission into intensive care units, and 97% full recovery within just two weeks. And now on to some news from Iran. Four Iranians were convicted on Tuesday in New York for attempting to kidnap Iranian-American journalist Misa Alinejad, who has discussed Iran's human rights abuses and lives in Brooklyn. In 2020, Alinejad wrote to the Washington Post that she learned of this plot, but that it was expected from the regime. 
Basically, the regime asked four intel operatives to kidnap Alinejad in America and smuggle her back to Iran last year. Obviously, they couldn't fly due to COVID, so it turns out one of them actually researched a service offering military speedboats out of New York City and boat travel from New York to none other than Iran's closest ally in the Americas, Venezuela. While the four convicted live in Iran, a fifth person was arrested in California for providing financial support to the operation. Iranian Deputy Foreign Minister Abbas Arachi said Vienna talks regarding the JCPOA about to enter their seventh round must wait until Rizzi's government takes power in early August to resume. State Department Spock's Ned Price said Monday that it was up to Tehran to determine when the seventh round of Vienna talks will take place. Iran was also criticized by the U.S. government for delaying prisoner exchange talks, which the Islamic Republic revealed were occurring between the two countries on Tuesday, and Iranian Spock said Iran is ready to exchange all U.S. prisoners in exchange for the release of all Iranian prisoners in the U.S. and the ROW. During a cabinet meeting on Wednesday in Tehran, outgoing President Rouhani told the cabinet that the Iranian Atomic Energy Organization can enrich uranium to the 90% purity benchmark, which coincidentally is the level needed to build the core of a weapon. Protests erupted this week in Khuzestan in the southwest over water shortages in the province, which is heavily inhabited by Iranian Arabs and is typically the hottest province in Iran. Videos show protesters using fire to block a road while security forces try to disperse them. Iran is facing its largest drought in 50 years this summer. An elderly protester was quoted in a local news website saying that the state TV should show images of buffaloes that have died due to dehydration. During these protests, a youth was killed after a stray bullet from one of the protesters hit him. While I had still have my doubts about the stray bullet story, no one, including the victim's father, has denied it. Now on to another Afgexit update. General Scott Miller, the United States' top commander in Afghanistan since 2018, officially relinquished his position on Monday as the U.S. prepares to make its final, at least for now, exit from Afghanistan. Marine General Frank McKenzie, the head of U.S. CENTCOM, will now take over operations from the CENTCOM HQ in Tampa, Florida. The Taliban apparently took another major border crossing on Wednesday, this time the Spin Boldak crossing on the Pakistani border. Now, why could this potentially be a tiny bit of an issue? Well, Pakistan has the fastest growing nuclear arsenal in the world and a fairly weak civilian government. Not the best recipe for success there. Of course, there are also financial consequences of owning another major border crossing. Again, not a recipe for success here, probably in the knowledge that Afghan forces initiated an operation to retake the territory on Friday and actually claimed they were successful. However, as of yesterday, Taliban flags were still seen flying and Taliban guards operated the now partially reopened crossing. Britain's Defense Minister Ben Wallace told the Daily Telegraph that the country will work with the Taliban should they enter the government, but will review any relationship if they behave in a way that obstructs human rights. Have they not already? Russia's most senior official on Afghanistan criticized the Afghan government, calling them hypocritical for not beginning proper negotiations with the Taliban, which the official urged them to do before it's too late. It appears that senior Afghan leaders have taken Russia's advice and traveled to Doha for talks with the Taliban on Tuesday. 
they are expected to discuss speeding up of peace talks. Furthermore, in Afghanistan's western Baghdiz province, government officials said Thursday that they negotiated an indefinite ceasefire with the Taliban. Again, a spokes for the Taliban denied this claim, but disclosed that they left the city to avoid civilian casualties. They did reach an agreement to move tribal elders to the outskirts of the capital city, Kala'ina. Moving to the West Bank, now we have an update on the protests relating to the killing of Nizar Banat by PA security. Banat's family has now accused the PA of attempting to cover up the murder and settle the matter out of court. They also disclosed that they have not yet received a death certificate for Nizar, and that would mean the PA would have to disclose the official reason for his death. On Thursday, the IDF announced that it arrested dozens of Palestinian students from Birzeit University who were involved with Hamas terrorism through money transfers, direct activity, or incitement. The students were indeed arrested as they were on their way back from the now-demolished home of Muntasir Shalabi, who murdered an Israeli 19-year-old student and wounded two others in a drive-by shooting in May. According to the Palestinian Prisoners Club, 45 were arrested, 12 of whom have been released. The university released a statement of concern for its students and called on the international community to intervene. The PFLP military wing threatened Jews on Tisha B'Av with a photo of a militant with a gun and the caption, Our hands are on the trigger, and from us, covenant and loyalty. And last but not least, the Abraham Accords have finally settled in as the UAE opened its Israeli embassy in Tel Aviv on Wednesday with Mohammed Al-Khaja serving as the Emirati ambassador. Ambassador Al-Khaja noted in his inaugural speech that it is time for a new approach to determine a better future for the region. Anyways, that's all our news for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and tune in next Monday as we get back to regularly scheduled programming and Megan comes to relieve me of my duties. Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com.